Welcome back to the latest episode of Ramblings of the Collective. We are going to be talking about a very fun topic this evening. It's going to be the character tropes that we like and kind of where we like to bring characters to make the story interesting. I'm going to let Lucian kind of lead this one. Uh, because Man, Thanks for pointing me out here. You're welcome. I mean, it's going to be obvious, but I'm going to let you lead this one because I usually lead it and I think it would be fun for somebody else to get a turn. So, yeah, I'm we'll here let you, as well. Yeah, James is still here. Yeah. Just in the background. Somehow. Don't know why. But (laughs) (laughs) we're going to let Lucian lead this one. But I'm interested in what kind of like when you guys were told that you when you guys were thinking about what kind of characters you want to make for D&D, what kind of characters came to mind? Crash Bandicoot. Really? Yeah. I wanted like something small and ferocious and then every character I've created since when I first acknowledged that has been the exact opposite of what I said I was going to do. <laughs> <laughs> Tolog is a great example. Tolog is a great example. Yeah, he is. If you don't know who Tolog is, refer to our character video in which we talked about all of our different characters that we made for the current campaign, in which Tolog is one of them. We're not going to talk about it on this podcast. You have to listen to like all of our podcasts to get... Everything that goes on. Oof. Welcome to reality. Welcome to reality. We sell dice. We sell dice. Carry on. Anyways. <laughs> uh, the first thing that I thought of when I actually decided to sit down and actually think of a character that I wanted to create no, was... I, 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 I was going to say, I was kind of in, interested in where you were going with Tolog. The Tolog? Yeah, I felt, I felt like there was something you were going to elaborate more after that. Um, I mean, not really. I just thought the... Um, like the initial shock of, because I've always been like a huge Crash Bandicoot fan, and he's always been a character that's been super influential in my life. So when I thought of like character tropes for D and D, for whatever reason, for whatever association in my brain, he was just the first thing that came to mind. And um, like searching and adventuring in a dungeon crawly kind of. Yeah, it's just kind of like the vibes I got from the original game. And it was just super nostalgic, and um, I I don't have this super you know cool story of you know me playing D from when i was a kid or anything so you know to be, be, honest, to be honest none of us really do yeah i feel like a lot of people that you might see that talk about D on the internet they're always like yeah i've been playing this since 1986 and i've been hosting 10 campaigns a week ever since and it's like man i i got into it when i was like 15 yeah i was 21 you know i was and it's just, it was just really cool to uh, bring something nostalgic from my past into this new part that I'm discovering. And um, I just thought it was funny because every character I've made has been the exact opposite. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You're like, oh, Crash man. Bandicoot who? You're like, man, I really like this character. Time to make something completely different. Yeah, <laughs> yeah because I, I just got so absorbed into that into that D character world and i'm like i'm gonna create something small and ferocious like a crash bandicoot and then at the end of the day i had a orc barbarian yep. you, you at least got one part right the D. <laughs> no i mean like i feel like you what you're going for is like a uh is like a so there's a new class so there's an image in the in the new um uh, well, not the new new book, but Tasha's Cauldron. Mm-hmm. Uh, for, it says for a subclass called uh, the Wild Magic Barbarian, and it's like the, just this barbarian with this battle, this war war axe, and uh, and he's just, he has the biggest fucking grin on his face. <laughs> he, and it's like an elf, and he's like just so he's like beaming. <laughs> 
And I feel like that's kind of what you what you were going for. Yeah. But then uh, you moved more towards the usual trope. Yeah, of just the just the, the big barbarian. Yeah, the big barbarian. That's all you get to know in this episode. Yep. Go watch the other one. Go watch the other one. We went into depth on all three of our characters, and if you want to know more about Tolog, Tolkreen, or Pioneer, uh, go listen to it. We're not going to baby you through all the episodes and talk about all of our references. I'm being like really sarcastic and like Welcome kind of reality, but also it's true. It was a really good episode. I really liked that episode. So oof, go watch oof. it. Welcome to reality. Sucks <laughs> <laughs> to be you. <laughs> Cold hard slap in the face. Uh, when it came to my first character that I sat down and actually decided to make, because what? I made characters. Sarah Geinfeld? No. <laughs> <laughs> I made multiple characters that were kind of jokes because I didn't really know much about D&D and I didn't want to sit down and actually learn everything about D&D to be able to create characters. Uh, so I made Sari Geinfeld, who is a giant Goliath bard, uh, who his entire thing was literally... Yeah, correct. Uh, her entire thing was just kind of being there to either sing songs or smack ass. And it was kind of like... It was like one or the other. Uh, and our friend's character was like the antithesis to it, a very small halfling rogue or something along those lines. And I always had them on my back. Um, but it wasn't something that I was interested in. And then I made another character that was an artificer that was named Jill Stingray, who anybody who's played Valhalla will know that character because I literally ripped the character directly from the game and put it into D&D. You're like, I like that character. I'm going to play as that character. I literally asked. Like you did the exact opposite thing James did. Yeah. <laughs> I, I asked what was the closest to the, to the bartender and somebody said artificer. And I said, all right, nice. And I became an artificer from that day on. Um, and then the first character I actually created for like full originality sake was Zizlian, uh, who is part of my favorite duo of characters that I've ever created because I haven't created a whole lot of them. But uh, Zizlian and Tokrain are like the antithesis, antithesis of each other. And I kind of like the trope of somebody who is very sure of themselves um, and very strong, very confident, but not someone who will shove it in your face. Mm -hmm. Someone who is like, if you challenge them, they will go out of their way to show you that you're wrong. But if you don't challenge them and you show them that you are worthy of respect, then they will be your teammate and be very loyal. Mm -hmm. And I kind of wanted this almost antagonist sense of like energy from her. Mm -hmm. I wanted it to be almost to the fact that when you like see Bob her, kind of, yeah, but like to a lesser extent. Yeah, Bakugo, but like people can actually tolerate him. And Bakugo after the later seasons of character development. Yeah, like Bakugo, but he's not like literally constantly insulting everyone around him at all given times. Right. <laughs> uh, a more reserved Bakugo, if, if you will. Um, but essentially the kind of character that if you come into contact with and are on their good side, they will be a pillar of safety to protect you and your team but if you come across them you're as not, like, too crass as, and you're probably but you're probably not gonna they're not gonna be like the first person that you invite for like a night out well and that's not even 100% true either because Zizlian is very good with people mm -hmm. Zizlian's charisma was high on purpose mm -hmm. she can go out of her way to show how good of a person she is mm -hmm. it's just the the immediate feel you have of her is 
she could either slit okay. my throat or save think, my teeth. I, I think what we're getting to here is she is a very diverse character with yeah. a lot of detail. Kind of, yeah. Uh, I like taking a trope and adding things to it that make, make it less tropey. Adding new ones. Yeah. The same thing happened with Tokrina. So, I made him a monk that was like a recluse background, but I did or a hermit background, but I didn't go super far into the secluding yourself in the monastery and becoming super religious. Like uh, Mr. Miyagi. Yeah. So I kind of I kind of really like taking a trope and just kind of I, spinning I, it on his I head. I said that and like now I'm in my head I am convinced that I definitely got that name wrong. It is 100% correct. That is the mentor from The Karate Kid. Okay, thank you. You're and welcome. I just, do you know who's a good example of that flipped trope? Um, um, Iroh as well. Correct. Um, is uh, Tyrion from Game of Thrones. <laughs> I'm 100% positive. I'm 100% positive that me and Lucian thought of a completely different character than you did. We thought of the same. We thought of the character from Ruby, oh, which for- is 100% a trope and is just like the clinically insane villain. You guys are about to do some <laughs> dumb <as> shit. <laughs> We're like, that's not at all a, a flipped trope. That's just a real crazy yeah, person. You have to keep in mind, neither of us watched Game of Thrones or read it. Yeah. But I don't know. I know about oh, no. Tyrion Lannister. Okay, though. pause. Listen, we know that you probably watched Game of Thrones or have read Game of Thrones. I was going to explain it. I got cut off before I could get there. I was trying to pick it back we up. I would like to ask that you please remain and consider Brandon and I both still valid. As James well. has seen Game of Thrones. Just take that as like our ticket of entry as nerd culture. We're his plus two. We're his plus two. I am so confused with what's happening right now. We're ashamed for not being fans of Game of Thrones, considering that we're a D&D podcast, and that is something that is very close to D&D. But I think that's what makes us... Well, who has to know on the podcast that you guys... Lucian brought it up, and so we have to bring it up. It's because it, it it's an effort to remain authentic. That's also true. Because n- now they know that we're not just every single nerd podcast out there that knows everything nerd culture... And has Regardless of all that, James, please go into depth about Tyrion Lannister and why you believe that f- is a good flip trope. Because I don't know a ton about Tyrion Lannister, but I know about Tyrion Lannister. I just like the Game of Thrones puzzles, so... I showed you them. They're, they're really well designed. I'm sorry, you guys really derailed me with that. Alright, so Tyrion, he's... Um... He's a dwarf who has kind of like a Napoleon complex. Oh, okay, that character. Yeah, so um, he... The ghost from Destiny 1. The the ghost from Destiny (laughs) 1. That wizard did come from the moon. (laughs) We've awoken the hive. Oh, poor... God, poor... Oh, wasn't there a Destiny episode? There was. Yes. Oh, okay. It was titled That... That wizard came from the moon. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, where we didn't reference yeah. Peter Dinklage as the ghost, but it's really funny looking back on it whenever I see clips of original Destiny. Yeah, because like that was literally like early, early Destiny. That's something that like most people will not remember ever. Because or haven't seen because it was literally within like the first few months of Destiny One release. It was like it was like until the Taken King. The Taken King was when they changed it. I don't even think it was then. I think it was Prison of Elders. Oh. 
or the House of Wolves, but regardless, Tyrion Lannister. Yeah, they, they literally redubbed all Peter Nicolich's. Anyways, yeah. Tyrion Lannister. So um, he's a dwarf, and he has this Napoleon complex. And I think the trope is like when you see somebody in film or books or whatever that has a Napoleon complex, where they're trying to overcompensate. It's usually for negative reasons, and you know they're trying to gain power or something in that typical area. And um, with Tyrion, who's from a royal family. Um, and he does have a Napoleon complex, but it's solely to prove himself as a human um, ah. and, and not looked down upon as like the scum of of the realm. Because this was a time where, you know, when you had like a dwarf, like you would execute him. Like it, it was right. something abominable. So why did they keep him alive? Uh, because he was part of the royal family. I know, but usually the royal family would even kill off. Yeah. It's- Welcome to Game of Thrones. Not everything makes sense. The, most of the show makes no sense. You just got to go with it. Yeah. yeah, maybe there is some like deep lore, and some someone somewhere is like, well, actually, they explained it. Well, uh, if you have the reason as to why Tyrion Lannister was not executed at birth for being a dwarf, leave a comment. Leave a comment down below explaining why. I am actually very interested. I am that also is, very interested. That is no joke. Uh, I've watched about three episodes of Game of and Thrones. And it's not like I'm not I, interested in the story. It's just so long. <laughs> yeah. I kind of only cared about Tyrion Lannister and Bren. Uh, and they're the only characters that I really had any connection with at all. Uh so leave a comment down below. Explain it if you know it. If you don't, then don't. Leave a comment saying how much you love this episode. And I'm, I'm making or how much you don't understand of what, what we're saying about Darian And I'm making like an assumption that like they were executed, but the way so much derogatory stuff gets thrown towards um, people like him in the show that it's pretty easy to infer that they so, were either heavily like slaved against or you know executed or just treated like shit so interesting their entire I recently watched this nice video about jesters and there was actually something what they would refer to as a natural jester and that's actually one of the categories that many dwarves would end up in uh, they were considered people with deformities or mental deficiencies were often considered if they were still charismatic or entertaining in some way uh, they were often considered natural jesters uh, because they have some natural disability. Yeah, they were um, just treated like. And there's in, historically there were there have been many uh, natural jesters uh, uh, who have like even made like that would even make family dynasties of jesterhood because of how many like benefits came with being so associated with all the nobles. Yeah. And um, it's it's really easy to see how it's flipped in that show. Um, like if you guys have a chance to watch it a little more, like you'll see it. But um, you know he's from just like this really brutal royal family, and, and he's just desperate to prove himself. And that's that's really all it is. And I am going to clarify something. Not to say that, like, people. <laughs> All people with natural deformities had it easy. They don't struggle <laughs> with anything. Because I feel like, oh my god, someone somewhere is getting mad at me. So I have to clarify that, mostly so I can laugh at the notion, because that's how ridiculous it is to me. Yeah. Um, because clearly those were edge cases. Uh, not everyone's that lucky. <laughs> yeah. Uh, as a side note, to that that I'm putting on record as well for not really any reason in particular I would be willing to watch through it if you wanted to watch through it again yeah no it, it really is a, 
a good show. It's I want to see the but... slow downfall of the writing that apparently happened. Yeah, because I don't I like I'm really bad at watching things just in general. But if I'm watching it with other people, it's not generally yeah. as bad. It's like a it's like a like a nice book club. <laughs> yeah, and then if I don't understand something, especially when somebody has already seen it before, they can explain it and kind of keep my mind on track because I very easily lose what direction the plot is going. Um, but I'd be willing to watch it again if yeah. you were done. Yeah, no, it definitely takes a while to get through it, but it's, it's worth <laughs> well, it. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a good watch. But then we could possibly do a Game of Thrones episode and talk about a bunch of things about Game of Thrones. And I don't know what we would talk about. Well, but we me. could. I could talk about the Game of Thrones puzzle. <laughs> I could talk about the Game of Thrones. You could, you could, yeah, you know, that so game much. that you played as a kid where you tried to push each other off a chair. Yeah, it's like King of the Hill, but like the throne. Yeah. King of the Throne. That's a, <laughs> that's essentially Game of Thrones, right? Like, I just watched the show by making that joke. Yeah, pretty much. A whole bunch of people kill each other for the throne. Yep. That's See, the there show. you go. There we go. Oh, cool. A couple dragons. I didn't even need to watch the show. Uh, I did remember seeing some really nice special effects. Oh, yeah. Very nice. I remember seeing a video about that from the special effects, I guess. And um, very rarely. Um, and the show does it so well, but, you know, there's action scenes where it feels like, you know, like, wow, this is like what Mesopotamia would be like battling in the desert. And then in another season, they're battling like a supernatural force. And then you can get like horror elements. There's so much. It's like three shows in one and it's overwhelming, but it's a good watch. Yeah. Another trope that I've uh, really become a fan of actually decently recently because I bought uh, Final Fantasy VII Remake in 2020, actually, during the pandemic. It is Sephiroth. Fuck yeah. Of course it's Sephiroth. I mean, I love all the characters in that game. Every character is written so fantastically well. I only care about Sephiroth. But Sephiroth is so cool. Like, he's such a antagonistic villain. It's not even there like... so much... There is so much character. There's there. so much to unpack. There is uh, so much. He's not pure evil, but he's definitely not pure good. Like he's like lost in there somewhere. Yeah, it's he's like, he's the epitome of antagonism. Like he is specifically there to spite humanity. And it's not even like a he wants humanity's downfall per se. It's just kind of like he wants to sow chaos and he's going to do it. And it's going to be super cool whenever he does. And that's kind of it. That's his whole character. He's like Seth or he's like Cloud's dream, but like not and also real and also very much almost kills the whole crew like seven times in just the Final Fantasy seven remake part one. That's it. He's just really that powerful. He brings him to like an alternate dimension and he has to like, or they have to like fight seven different instances of God to be able to even fight Sephiroth. <laughs> it's like, uh, take these. Yeah, he just like casually throws out like the concept of chaos as a boss. Like, and you have to beat that to get to Sephiroth. It's so cool it's it's so hard to describe too because it's so abstract as a power and like an as a fight but everything about Sephiroth is so cool he's so casual about it he's so casual so dreamy. not a single thing he doesn't ever get angry 
He doesn't have any, it doesn't even feel like he has any emotions. Everything that he says and does is so casual and cool and He collected. always sounds like he's 14 steps ahead of you. Yeah, he always sounds like he's already finished the game and you are just starting. And it's like that difference, that, that, that pure constant divide you have between the person who is your antagonist in this story versus your character as you're playing as Cloud and Tifa and Barrett and Aerith and all these other characters. Like, there is a pure disconnect. You never understand what his next step is going to be, but he knows exactly what you're going to do like seven years in the future. And it's not because he knows time travel or anything like that. It's just because he can read so far into you. And it's so perfectly creative. Everything about that character's design makes me so happy. Like, man, I love characters waiting to just to sow the seeds of chaos. Yeah, chaos antagonists are so much fun. That was a joke. I do. I really like so. I do. Seeds of it chaos depends, but it depends for me. Like, like for me, like there, there's only so far you can go. For instance, oh, this is going to be a hard one. You're going. You might have to cut it out. Um. I'm kind of sick and tired of the Joker. Very sick and tired of the Joker. I might have to hold you back from having a fist fight over the table, James. <laughs> Considering the uh, Joker rap on your Xbox, the Joker rap on your Xbox controller. The <laughs> Do we need to go on? There's a lot of Jokers in this house. <laughs> Three of them are at this table right now. Oh my God. Who could they be? It's Phoenix. The dog. All three of them are Phoenix. I would agree. I'm pretty, the state, the, the city. I'm pretty sick and tired tired of it too, but I'm sick and tired of it because of so many, how many bad incarnations there are of the character. Like it's, it's, and it's saturated. It yeah, yeah. I, I feel like you kind of get where I'm getting at, and I'm probably just looking at it from the perspective of somebody that was not really ever into it that much. Yeah. Uh, whereas, like... I like the character, but I feel like the the best, my favorite, or my what I feel like was an incredible version of that character has already existed. Yeah. I now don't want to see the character anymore. It's never going to live up to my expectations, sweetie. <laughs> and my problem with it, too, is that they have so many good villains in Batman, and they don't go with any of them. They always default to Joker. And so they end up making bad iterations of the Joker before they make good iterations of, say, the Riddler, who, in in contrast, is my favorite villain of like all of Batman. You've had so many bad iterations of the Joker, you could have made good iterations of the Riddler or the Penguin or someone along those lines, and you've chosen to just go with the Joker every single time. And it's become a point where you can't capture it every single time. Sometimes you have somebody who is better in a different role. And I think Gotham does this very well as a TV show because they found, uh, I don't know his name, but the guy who played Edward Nigma. Okay, so in I'm just going to pause real quick just because I remember when I first brought up this idea for a topic and James and I was like, we could talk when we were trying to brainstorm for a topic idea and we were talking about characters we love and characters we hated or portrayal or versions of that character. And I, I we had asked, 
what's a character that you hate? And you said Danny DeVito's incarnation of the penguin. Yeah. <laughs> but this is exactly what I mean. Like you pick characters or you pick actors that don't fit the character and then you go with the ones that are more well known because of the fact that they're more well known and not or because like, the characters hey, should be played. Cash. <laughs> For contrast, we had a whole conversation about how Johnny Cash wasn't supposed to sing Hurt. Anyway, carry on. Oh my God. We're going to get canceled now. Listen, I, I, I had that discussion with you in like trust that you wouldn't judge me, but now you have said it to the public. There is no judgment. Never mind. No. No I'm, judgment. No, it's fine. I've already posted all that stuff in YouTube comments. <laughs> Regardless, I watched Gotham with my dad and we talked about how the casting for that show is absolutely spectacular. Uh, especially, we both agree that the character who plays Edward Nigma in that show is a absolutely perfect fit for the Riddler. Like, everything that he does is just as nerdy and over-the-top as it should be. Like, it's like it's like someone is in, in super invested in the theatrics of it all. Right. And it's not... Like, he doesn't start out as the Riddler. This is the origin story to all the villains and also the Batman in Gotham. Like, so you see, like, the slow progression of him... Uh, of him starting to do more and more elaborate things to right. deliberately. Because he works at the police station at first as Edward Nigma, and he's getting bullied by all the different policemen and police women because they're all joking about how he's such a nerd and like how everything he does is so over the top. But then as time he, goes on, he starts to get oh he no. starts to fall farther into that. He got too invested in true crime. <laughs> he got too invested into true crime. But like the character or the actor that portrays the Riddler in Gotham, I cannot tell you his name for the life of me. I don't think I ever looked up the names of everybody in Gotham, but he plays it so well. And I would love to see him if he were in an actual Batman movie, like in like a in like a Christian Bale type, right? Like if they did a full feature length film, like another Batman movie. I would love to see who played Edward Nigma in Gotham play as the Riddler because I think he envelops the character so perfectly well the over the top theatrics you know, that, the nerdy like a, like the nerdy personality that he has everything that he has to do is all about being smarter than Batman he doesn't care about beating Batman he could at any point he's, like poison the Batman in one of his trick rooms or kill him outright with a machine kind of gun like, that pops was, up out of nowhere or something but he only cares about being smarter than the smartest detective. Man, I love Death Note. Correct. <laughs> He's just like Yagami. Say I'm wrong. You can't. Man. Well, that particular trope in general, um, I mean, depending on the incarnation that we're talking about, Joker is a lot of times an anti-hero. And the public always craves those characters. Right. Which we have an episode on, right? Where we talked about character. Yeah, we talked about in character creation. We talked, well, we talked about specifically our characters that we created, but we didn't really talk about character creation as a whole. Yeah. Oh, Anyways. Right. anyway, that one. But people cling on to that character so much. I think it's just because he's such a powerful pop culture icon. And the specific trope is, you know, we really connect to that character. And it's because we can, we connect to his alienation. Yeah. It's because he's, he's someone that doesn't belong and he, but he has thrived in that. And I think that's kind of what anyone 
and the increasing number number of people that have been that feel like they've been left behind in society have been feeling. Well, I think that kind of ties into the fact that everybody loves to see two big, like, entities butt heads with each other. So there's always going to be a market for a hero and the villain that is going exactly opposite of them. Um, and in that same case, that's kind of the reason why Tokreen and Zizlian work so well together. Mm-hmm. Because each are the antagonists to their own story against each other. Yeah. So, like, they work together as a character solely. They are very good characters. Don't get me wrong. I love Tokreen. I love Zizlian. Separate, they would work fine. But together, they work so much better because they butt heads. Together, they butt heads in a way that can send a message more about those concepts. Right. Because Zizlian, though being more... Yeah. Though being more of, like, a villainous type overall, I suppose. She kind of shows that sometimes aggressive action... Yes, like because her aggressive action isn't to create chaos. It's not to create evil. It's not to work for evil. evil. It's to punish evil. So it's not exactly that she's more villainous overall. It's more so the fact that she is taking a different way to dispense justice than Tokreen is, where his entire thing is, I want to talk to all the enemies and make them understand why they're wrong. She just goes, well, we can skip that step, beat them into the dirt, and then they'll never want to commit wrong again. My One of my characters that I've had for a really long time, that's kind of like how uh, she started out, too. We rudely interrupt this production to tell you that our new discount code will be TROPES with a capital T. Nothing else to add? Just wanted to throw that in there. But now I kind of want to talk about the negative, you know? Sure. What are examples of some of these tropes that we've talked about that, that you hate? I 100% or 100% hate pure cinnamon roll heroes. I hate the characters. How dare you say that about Deku? I actually don't like his character development at all. I'm going to be completely honest. He's my least favorite character in my hero. Yeah. I hate characters where they're pure unadulterated trait is I am good and therefore there is no possibility for bad and I've heard that Deku has changed in the last few seasons I haven't watched up I'm not caught up on the last season I don't think um, but I this is the reason why I don't like Superman because his whole thing like he's yeah. been put into tumultuous situations before but his whole thing is he is super overpowered he is just a like mechanism for the good and that is kind of his whole thing and that is it and is so boring to me and and in your defense I'm not, I'm not going to say I like Superman because I can see someone who likes Superman being like hey I like Superman well and don't get me wrong and by me saying I don't like Superman it's not saying that and, nobody can like Superman and, I just and, don't no, I mean, more, more, more expressly even though they do take the character in later renditions and flesh out and challenge him the way that he's built, it's it, you have to stretch things very far to challenge him because he's right. not built to be challenged in that he's in like built an emotional to be way. Extremely a paragon for good, and that is kind of it. Yeah, and that that's kind of uh, what makes him. It, it, although he does sometimes face emotional challenges, that's not exactly what he was made to do. And that's also the same reason why I don't like Goku in Dragon Ball. 
Yeah. I find Goku very boring because I think all of his of, things... I think that's why a lot of people like tend to drift towards Vegeta. Yeah, Vegeta's, or Vegeta is way cooler. Gohan is also way cooler because they have depth to their character. Gohan goes through this entire thing where as a child he's being forced to train after seeing the death of his of his father in cold, hard 3D vision right in front of him. Like, that's hard. That is some hard stuff you got to deal with. And then immediately you're getting trained by somebody you've barely met to be able to learn how to defend yourself. And then right after that, you live at home for like a year and then have to fight a different alien who is then are like going out of their way to kill everybody you know. Like, like, you deserve to die just because you exist. Yeah, and so, oh, like, no. he has so He's much more depth. He has so much more depth. He literally goes from learning with Piccolo as an alien who he's barely met to going to Namek with everybody else and having to help fight against Frieza. Like, that's a lot to deal with all at once. And Gohan has a very specific non-hero, more so, like, sub-hero vibe and he has a whole lot of different emotions he has to deal with versus Goku, who is like, I'm going to fight the strongest person at this party because I want to fight the strongest person at this that party. sounds fun. People are going to destroy Earth, and so I will protect it because it's I am very, strong. It's very juvenile. Right. And I feel like that's part of what they kind of fit, what was kind of failed when they did change from like Dragon Ball to Dragon Ball Z mm-hmm. is they that they wanted to keep the character the same but to put him in adult situate more like extreme situations uh, but they didn't really he didn't really know how he wanted to portray the character as an adult right. he couldn't really picture that character as an adult because uh, his childish nature was part of his character so he felt like he couldn't get rid of that aspect of it um, what about you, James? I hate filler characters. I was just having a conversation with you guys about this. I hate characters that are not used to delve their own story. They're just kind of there. I think it, you see them the most in horror movies, but you have the... We were talking about it earlier. There's always the... Usually in older horror movies, it's a blonde woman that's going to make the dumbest decisions you can think of and everybody else is literally just in the movie to die so for me it depends so uh a common example of this trope that is that is uh kind of like maybe you have noticed it maybe you have is the manic pixie, pixie dream girl uh which is basically you would see a trend in like especially like teen coming of age movies like Scott Pilgrim versus the world mm-hmm. where a girl comes into the guy's life changes his entire world mm-hmm. and then she vanishes but his entire world is world has changed right so that would be an example of that trope but done in a more in a little bit more of an inter- interesting way right uh, which is why I, I do say that I don't like that trope but it depends on how you look at it right and it's the same reason why i can like protagonist characters so long as they're not the pure 100 simple hero type yeah like i understand that the trope exists for a reason but if you put a spin on the trope it makes the trope 100 easier to digest oh yeah and i think i think that that specific trope if you're talking about the trope in and of itself is done best 
when that character is not the focus. Uh, when purely and like you don't like you you're not supposed to they don't ever make even an attempt to delve into like the world of that character yeah it's very obvious that that character is isn't there to be explored or they at least seem like uh this is i'm gonna say in a conversational context they seem like the type of person that no matter how hard you try they're you're never gonna get to know them on a personal level yeah yeah and you know there there's a a common need for the characters like that in a lot of movies but um i feel like the the genre that does it the worst is the horror genre oh yeah no, you have characters so in that, there that are literally just meant to take up space well yeah no because i feel like that again that's why i kind of say it depends because that trope your description of the trope is so broad that it encompasses two different groups which are uh one that serves a purpose to drive the story and that story is character driven as opposed to a character that exists to drive the story because the story needs a character to be there only temporarily like right. the, like it's not it's not a driving force but it is there to just be a person mm-hmm. it's not they're not meant to like it's not supposed to have like any nuance to the way that that person interacts as by aside from like Maybe like the jock and the cheerleader. Oh my gosh, I'm superficial and I'm <laughs> fucking popular. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 It's like uh, anything more nuanced about like the way that like a character driven story focuses on the character's perspective on the world. Yeah. And that's why, again, like in that same vein, I say that tropes aren't bad. Oh, yeah, no, I'd never say tropes are right. inherently dead. Like, tropes can be used effectively to be able to shape a character around it. Because in the same vein, Zizlian started as a trope. Her entire thing was going to be the, like, kind of lone, strong type who was just going to kind of be there and beat things when needed and kind of just keep to herself and all that, whatever. But because of that, I've decided that since I don't like just character tropes as a whole like as just as they are i mean uh i decided to put a spin on it to make it more interesting and add a whole nother character to add a dichotomy that wasn't there before so tropes can be good if used correctly yeah and i feel like interestingly pioneer is probably the first character that i didn't make with like an intent like because usually when i make a character i can picture a trope that they're attached to uh Pioneer, like, I wasn't, I didn't even, like, consider any character tropes. Like, I, I, I thought of them in passing, but, like, it wasn't, like, something I was looking at, like, directly. It's more like I was describing someone's, uh, I was describing someone's backstory, literally, and I was planning, and it could be a number of different tropes, sources, but I didn't know which one it was going to lead into. Yeah. Um... Uh, other characters I've made, of course, usually since I've been making characters since I was so young and I, you know, I'm sentimental, so I never throw one out and I always repurpose them. Uh, a lot of my characters end up coming, having like a really baseline trope that uh, have just morphed and morphed and morphed and morphed into something <laughs> that I consider substantial to my now adult brain. Yeah. Yeah, and those those are characters done right. I just love to see them when the tropes go bad, 
you know, uh, what's a, what's a good funny example? Um, like a, a lot of times in, in 80s horror movies, um, I know you guys haven't really watched a whole lot of them, but it's the concept is super simple. Pretty much a whole bunch of teens go to a location and then there's some level of force that's going to kill them all except for one. And that one person is going to somehow triumph and then boom, jump scare at the end. That's every 80s horror movie ever made. Yeah. You know, and the end. The end. So <laughs> The end? Question mark? <laughs> Meanwhile, here comes 12 sequels. Um, yeah, exactly. But Friday the 13th. And well, the that, 13th again. That's exactly what I'm going to bring well, up. That's it's like, like, so that's when you cross from trope territory into pulp territory. Well, this is this is the trope. So I think it's like um, it's like the second or third Friday the Thirteenth movie, and you have the filler characters. What's funny is they'll try to give these characters like some two dimensional backstory to make it look like they're not just extras, and to try to give them some type of substance. But it's done so bad, and you can obviously tell it's like a trope or a cliche. Um, but the example is there's like a guy in a wheelchair that's in the movie going to a summer camp with a whole bunch of people and it's like you know by the theme of the movie that that character is going to die and they try to give him like some two-dimensional backstory about how he got injured and how he's going to like somehow overcome everything in life and then boom he's the first one to die what yeah no i couldn't have seen that coming so it's like sometimes with tropes they don't even try (laughs) I feel okay. So that is that is still in trope territory. The direction I was thinking is probably closer to closer, closer, closer. closer. <laughs> it's a bit closer uh, to um, uh, the movie The Babysitter. Uh, I watched it on Netflix. It's pretty funny because <laughs> that is a pulp '80s horror movie. Mm-hmm. It is a mod. It is a modernly made movie, but it's a pulp '80s horror movie. <laughs> Uh, in which, um, like, I think the main character is like fourteen at most. Yeah. Uh, but he, but he's young enough to still like maybe like it's a little bit extreme to say that like he needs a babysitter, but he's still kind of juvenile and his parents don't kind of it's still like overprotect him. Yeah, right. I know that movie. <laughs> uh, anyways, but so his his babysitter is actually another example of a manic pixie dream yeah. girl, but in a horror scenario. Uh, his babysitter invites a bunch of uh, uh, like dr- drugs him uh, yeah. and, <laughs> and I'm sorry I, they're live reacting to me live reacting to whatever <laughs> they're talking about Brandy. because I've never seen this movie uh, yeah I have no idea what's going so, on and so I'm hearing everything for so, the first time um, the babysitter drugs him drugs right him and invites what? and invites all her friends to his house because they need his virgin blood uh, to do a satanic ritual. <laughs> uh, sorry. So the first thing that comes to mind with that is uh, completely separate from this conversation, but it just reminds me of the woodland creatures from South Park uh, because their entire, <laughs> their entire MO as the woodland creatures of South Park is to uh, sacrifice virgins for their blood orgy to celebrate Satan. But, but no blood orgies here. Yeah, it's just that's what it made me think of. And that's something that I wanted to talk about because I think it's really funny that what that's where my mind went. for? It was, well, each of them wanted a different thing. Yeah, like one guy's like, I want a golden Ferris wheel. And the yeah, goes, I was, want a new car. It was supposed to, it was supposed to like, <laughs> like bless them all or something weird like that. Yeah, like 
give them some type of product, but they had to sell their soul. Teenagers are stupid. But like, but they, but all of the characters that she invites over, and although she is like a twist, like she is supposed to be the manic pixie dream girl, you're supposed to be like, man, I wonder what she's like. But she's never going to tell you and you're probably never going to know. So she's like, that's why I say she's an example of the Manic PC Dream Girl. Another uh, trait of the Manic PC Dream Girl often comes with the main character having a crush on them. What? No. I couldn't have seen that coming. Man, it's almost like we live in a society. It's almost like I've seen Scott Pilgrim. Not to get too deep or anything. But psychology. Yo, it's what? All, it's all up here. No, they change. It's you, all man. based on psychology. It's like Jennifer's body. Oh my gosh, I never would have guessed. That's an example, right? Jennifer's body. I haven't seen that movie. Oh no. Uh, you know I don't watch. It's a lot of movies. That, so. Yeah, it is a very actually bridge to Terabithia is one that comes to mind too. Hold on, hold on now. We're in tissues. <laughs> I'm not ready for that. That is another manic pixie dream girl. Funny thing oh, is, manic after that. That movie uh, was sad. Funny thing is, I don't remember anything about that movie except for the fact that I saw it in a drive-in theater uh, with Justin and my mother. Uh, all I remember is being in the back of our 2000 GMC Yukon and falling asleep. And then waking up afterwards and then going, yo, the movie's over. The credits are rolling. Let's go home. And I was like, huh? And then we were home and then I was asleep again. (laughs) So do you know like what happened? Oh, no, absolutely not. I don't remember anything about the movie. So it's a manic pixie dream girl kind of situation, except like I want to say three quarters of the way through the movie. She just fucking dies. <laughs> Rest. Pour one out, man. <laughs> Please do not pour that directly on your floor. For context, James literally took his cup and was about to pour the liquid onto the floor. Literally like three quarters through the movie, she just dies. It was like a My Girl situation. Yeah, like, so like, she's like getting, she's like, she's like this stranger that he meets on at the school bus and she, she's like, she becomes his friend and they're both kind of like weird kid together kind of situation and they play and make believe in the forest like this is a kid's movie this like starred like a 12 year old josh hutcherson right i remember um like i remember who was in it i just don't remember the movie itself uh anyways and like and so she starts like getting to know his family and there's like i remember there was that scene that they showed in the trailer where like they're in the church and she's wearing her like her like muddy boots under her church dress because like the family kind of like starts inviting her in because they assume that like because they they're just like ah her guardians don't take care of her yeah and we should it, it's good for us i mean it's good for her <clears throat> um anyways but halfway through the movie there's this to get into their little area where they play in the forest they like swing on a rope over this this small river uh every day uh pretending that it's like a barrier into a, like a magic land anyways but halfway through the fucking movie there's this huge rainstorm and she goes goes to and he's looking for her and it turns out she had tried to get across the river to hide in their fort uh, or just because they were or maybe they were in a fight or something I don't know but she was trying to get out over to their fort and she fucking in the branch breaks and she fucking gets swept away by the river and dies Dude, I shit you not. March 10th, 2007. <laughs> I'm telling you right here. My grandmother took me to Disney World. Okay, I'm from Florida. We have Disney World, the real one. So 
um, we stayed at the Hard Rock Hotel and she put it on. My grandmother put this movie on the TV. And, and to this day, I am haunted by this movie because I was traumatized going on Space Mountain. It was oh, terrible. No. <laughs> this movie is why. Don't watch it. No, you won't get scarred by it. No, nothing good to say. She broke my heart. <laughs> yeah. Well, yes, now but, you can't ride Space Mountain, which is objectively the best ride at Disneyland. I still cry. I get reports people back behind me getting hit with tears. <laughs> <laughs> They're getting waterlogged behind you from yeah. the amount that you're crying. <laughs> that is a very interesting case of the Magic Picture Dream Girl. That's because they fucking kill her. Yeah. You think I'm lying? Look up the date. It was a Saturday. Yeah. So like, <laughs> so like the Manic. So that's like a Manic Picture Dream Girl. Character comes in, changes character's life, runs away, or dies. Yeah, I'm not surprised that you remember that because you remember very specific dates about a lot of things. Things and I could not for the no, life you didn't, of me. You, did you not see him looking up the date? I did look it up. Either way, you've done it before where you didn't look it up and you just happened to know the exact date of said event that you're explaining. I couldn't do that for the life of me. There is no situation in which you'll go, like, in a week, I'll forget what date I went on the flight that I'm going on tomorrow. Yeah, and I, even when I don't remember the date, like, just with that, I remember, like, the time period. So yeah. I, I was 11. No, I was 12. I was and, seven because I was born in 2000. Yeah, I was 12 and because um, uh, I was born in 95. It's getting rough to say. Um, <laughs> Starting to get um, to Bo Burnham territory. You're going to have to make a song about turning 30 soon. But I knew it was I knew it was the second week of um, it was the second week of March. To, second week of March. See, this is exactly what I'm talking about, though. You remember so many more details yeah. about exactly when Anyways, it happened so what, than I like, would. So, uh, as I was going with the Manic Pixie Dream Girl and the babysitter, because I'm sure you were just going to explain again how you saw the movie and it broke your heart. I'm sorry. I don't even know where I was going with that last one. You look like you're about to cry. I I think you might need to like sit down out of it for a second. That movie hurt, man. I can tell. I can see it on your face. That was like a weird... That was like, take a that, moment. Like, that's why I brought it up, because it was a weirdly scarring movie for a lot of children everywhere. Yeah, because you didn't actually think she was going to die. Yeah, they didn't think that, because like, that was like at a time period where there was a lot of movies about kids running away to fantasy lands. I was still recovering from Charlotte's Web with Dakota Fanning, okay? I was not prepared to handle Bridge to Terabithia. See, meanwhile, I've, I've consumed so much media in which the character you don't think is going to die dies, and at this point, I'm completely muted to that. Like, that surprise death kind of stuff is just like, yeah. Yeah, no, I'm just, I'm just, surprised, <laughs> they, like, I'm just surprised they showed it to, like, just an entire generation of, like, 10-year-olds. Like, fam, I played Doki Doki Literature Club before knowing anything about it. That was a trip. Woo! <laughs> yeah, but at least you weren't 10. I wasn't 10, but I was very vulnerable at that time. So that was that was more than I think any other. Uh, uh, you were vulnerable. Jeez. Yeah, I was in uh, not good place could, mentally. Uh, so that was not a great game to play. You were just like, ah, sounds fun. Yeah, I was like, yo, it's a nice little dating sim that everyone says there's a little bit of a twist. So I'll play it. Oh, oh. my God. And uh, halfway through that game, I realized what it is to uh, experience true fear. That's it. That's all. That's all you get. Yep. I went to SeaWorld too. 
Anyways, SeaWorld aside, um, in The Babysitter, uh, they do, uh, since it is a pulp movie, I feel like that they really do utilize a lot of the tropes in a way that really accentuates them. Did I say that correctly? Yes. Yeah, because they put that they put that in all the cliches in a position where they had to do something new, but they were still cliches. Like well, the jock like, is still the jock. Yeah, like but it, he was just doing something but, terrible. But also, they also added a little bit of nuance to all of them. It was kind of hilarious because the jock was still the jock, but also he was in the meantime. Like there's there's an entire thing where like he finds out that the main character is getting bullied, and he's like, "Yo, you can't do you can't let him do that to you, man." You gotta Aww. stand up to him. That's so sweet. And it like, it, and like, this is after this guy has been literally chasing this kid around shirtless because he's that much of a savage. He enjoys the hunt um, uh, to go try to murder him, and he wants him to, and he wants him to fight back because he thinks it's lame if he doesn't. <laughs> you know what? Honestly, fair. <laughs> I mean, like, I I feel that if I were to give, if I were to be a murderer and I ended up going to like kill somebody and they were just like. Oh, I guess you've gotten me. Go ahead and kill me then. I'd be like, well, there's no point now. Like, you've just ruined the whole point of it. You're supposed to run away. I'm supposed to catch you. I'm supposed to kill you afterwards. Like, if you just sit there in the corner and go, oh, dearie me, I better pray to God and hope that you don't get to kill me. It's like, all right, well, what's the point at this and point? That's, and that's the thing that uh, character tropes are really good at and why over time I kind of learned that they're not always a bad thing because character tropes overall are just shorthand for some for you to get an idea of what somebody should think of a person at first glance and they're a good starting point of 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 thinking of a character as like a person you would see on the street yeah and then you start talking to them and getting to know them and then and they tell you a bit about their life and it turns out they're completely different than what you thought and um, or even that they're stranger or maybe they're exactly what you thought to the point that it's hilarious. Yeah. Um, and that's what character tropes are really good for. And I feel like a lot of people kind of need to hear that just because a lot of people, when they're making a D&D character for the first time, they'll think they'll either think, A, I need to make a tro- like a trope is the only way to go or B, I can't make I a can, trope. I can't make a trope. That sounds lame. That's been done before. What am I going to be? The ranger, the ranger elf? That's Legolas. And to be completely honest, that's exactly how I thought when I was making Zizland for the first time. I was like, I don't want to make a character who is strong and outwardly strong about it. Yeah, and so like, and that's why I say it's, they either really don't want to or they really do. Right. And I was completely against it. It was one of those things yeah. where I was like, I need to find a completely original thing to do. And then I realized that it's just like, no, I can take a trope and run with it and make it different than just the trope itself. Yeah. And that's where Zizlian is now. And that's why I like her so much and why I like the dichotomy between the two of them so much is because of the fact that they play on a trope but they don't go exactly as you'd expect the trope to go. And interestingly, James, your favorite trope is a is an even more extreme example of the trope where uh, the trope is literally in the design of the character of people are expecting to see one trope, but they see a different trope. Yeah. That is a trope in and of itself. That's fair. I never looked at it that way. 
It's still my favorite, though. Yeah. I usually like... I don't think I really talked about what tropes I really like. Uh, but uh, I think one of my favorite tropes is... Oh, God. Shoot. I'm never going to get it. Looks like you're never going to know. I Looks really like, like we'll have to do a different episode. I think I really like just people that are just generally very guilt-stricken for whatever reason. They have, like, a tragic I like, backstory. Yeah, like, I like the I like the person that at first seems like they're one way, but then they, but they're hiding some past guilt that they, that has really, really affected them in some way. You see, I really like the tragic love story, and my favorite example is Aragorn and um, Arwen from Lord of the Rings. I love tragic stories in general, but the tragic love story is my favorite. Like, I love tragic love stories. Like, she's Elvish and she's going to live forever and she wants to be with him, but, you know, she knows he's going to die very soon because he's human. And it's just, it's so, like... You know, actually, in that same vein, there's a character ship that I really enjoy in Genshin Impact oh my God. that uh, has that exact <laughs> same feel. Uh, Song Li, the Geo Archon, and uh, Tartaglia, the kind of brutish character who is like a very big showman from uh lord i can't remember the area that he's from but like the the place that is essentially russia in their world uh the ship between them two i find is very interesting because it's the dichotomy of somebody who has been traumatized from day one and literally at like 13 was thrown into the abyss and had to go through a bunch of trials to be able to even survive and now works for the enemy and now at this point is so like tragically strong that he doesn't care about anything besides being able to beat the highest strongest enemy that he can Mm-hmm. versus Xiong Li, the Geo Archon, and his entire thing is structure and order and perfect oh, like oh, perfect setup. Oh, I love the chaos versus order. Right. Oh it's such a good especially, dichotomy. Especially in romance. Like, oh, oh no. It's so good. And it's like it's literally the exact setup that I like probably the most when it comes to like character relationships and tropes being thrown on their head. Because Tartaglia is a trope. He is the battle-stricken, grief-torn war veteran who is obsessed with becoming stronger. And Xiong Li is the epitome of a god who has lived for so long that he knows that order is the only way to be able to completely sustain a society and that he realizes there needs to be structure for people to survive correctly. But their dichotomy when they interact within the story of the game is so good because Xiong Li in the story tricks Tartaglia into into thinking that he's doing something completely separate, but Song Li was in... Oh, like he was, he was manipulating the situation for him to do exactly what his plan was. Pretty much exactly that. Yeah. And Tartaglia then gets upset because he's like, yo, what the hell? I thought I was the one in charge of all this. And Song Li and uh, Signora, like, who's the other... We're never going to be able to get you to do what we say. Right. No, literally, that's exactly but what they do. we can read you like a book. And it's like, it's so good because they go off of the trope so hard... And it's, ah, it's so interesting. Going into the lore of the Genshin Impact characters is so much fun. But 
that'll be a conversation for another episode once I've forced you guys to play that game if we ever decide to do that. Um, we've talked about our favorite tropes. I think we've talked about a lot Any of tropes. Any James? No. Man, you've just been quiet for the last bit. What's on your mind, James? Let's get a moment with James. A moment with James? Oh, that curry's starting to bite back. Oh no! (laughs) (laughs) So you're telling us you need to you need us to go home. (laughs) So you can spend some time. Yeah. (laughs) All right. I I don't have um. I don't have anything else. Well, in that note, I'm Lucian. I'm Brandon. And I'm James. And this has been Ramblings of the Collective. Thank you for listening.